We're going to pick up in the middle of the chapter, John 6, verse 47. Jesus is speaking. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This, speaking of himself, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews, these are the the religious leaders, they then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father— So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know where everybody is today, Father. And you know where you're taking them. Seal off my mouth from speaking anything but what you've ordained for your purposes this morning. I do pray that you would wrench away from us the fallacy that we're supposed to find a comfortable place and that you're obligated to protect us there. I pray, Lord, that when we think of our relationship with Jesus, we'll picture it as an advance, that we're moving further into something. And I pray today, Lord, 
that those that are prisoners to their intellect, giving themselves only to what they can explain, control, or define, would experience a baptism of faith that leaves their hands up in surrender and their mouths open with the joy of belonging solely to you. Take us to the next place. In Jesus' name, amen. I know what it's like to be stretched by Jesus, and I know what it's like to fight it, and I know what it's like to regret fighting it, and I know what it's like that when I've stopped fighting it, to go through that exhilarating slash terrifying moment of coming to a new level of surrender with him. Believe it or not, and I don't mean this by anything accusatory at all, I'm just going to tell you something I know about everybody in here. There are parts of your life that you are prone to protect from God. There are places in your mind, in your flesh, in your theology, that you really don't want to go with Him, and you cannot picture Him moving you away from this wonderful place that has suited you so well for so long. And we have this uncanny ability sometimes to throw down roots in places where God never intended us to be permanently planted. And I'm not talking about geography. I'm talking about where you are with Him in your walk. We are pictured in Scripture as pilgrims. We are told that here we have no continuing city. Pilgrims know how to pitch a tent for a little while, and then pull up that tent when the master says we're going to a new place. And in those times, friends, that's where he's stretching you. Because I'm just like you, I, I prefer for him to leave me in that best place where things are, are grooving for me. I, li I like to get in a groove. The, the grooves are oiled. The rut is what happens when that groove loses the oil. It becomes a rut. But the grooves are good. But the Lord has not promised us that he would leave us in these places. And so he's stretching you. And this morning, we're going to see what he did when the crowds had grown to their biggest up to that point in his earthly ministry. When we're looking at this passage, we picked up in the middle of John 6, but let me tell you what had happened just prior to that. The crowds were huge. They were following Jesus. At the beginning of the chapter says they began to grow because he was doing signs and wonders and miracles. And, and people were, rather than being truth seekers, they were thrill seekers. They liked the show. But then as the crowds were getting big, they got even bigger because Jesus fed them. Remember one of the disciples hijacked a little sack lunch from a kid? And took that, that Jesus took that lunch and he multiplied it and he fed the people. And so the Bible says that Jesus looked at them a little after that and he said, you're not coming to me because you believe in me, you're coming to me because of the food. And he transitioned from that physical food reality of the fish and the bread, and he started declaring, I'm the food that you need. I am the bread of life. He told them to hunger for him, not for the material things that he provided. And then Jesus declared over, right before we got to the verses we read, that he was the bread of life that came down from heaven. 
And so when he says this, the antenna of the religious controlling people went up because he's declaring himself to be something different than what everybody else is. He's saying, I came from heaven. I am the bread of life. If you will eat me, you will live forever. Now, let me give you something. They didn't have John chapter 6. This was brand new material. So before we're too hard on them as Jesus is stretching Think about it. They didn't know the symbolism and the theology of what Jesus was doing and saying there. All they're hearing is, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And it sounds like bad Halloween theater. It does. That's the way they would have received it, and we're going to see this. And so what what I want to show you in this is Jesus didn't avoid making them uncomfortable. He didn't make it easy on them. He didn't try to keep the big crowd I mean, preachers today, I will try to get to my text in a moment, but preachers today, when, when, when the crowds are big, they have their little executive meetings. They say, the crowds are getting big. Maybe we should do a series on how much God loves you. And, and what, what can we do to grow it bigger and grow it bigger and grow it bigger? Jesus looked at the crowd, and he saw with omniscience, he said, most of these people aren't really here for what I'm offering. They're here for the material blessing I'm giving. And so Jesus pulls out the hardest message that anybody had ever heard from him. He pulls out the eat my flesh, drink my blood message. He's counterintuitive. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he just does ministry different than we do. His ministry is still changing the world. Ministries run according to intellect and flesh and marketing programs and all of that stuff. Those things die. But Jesus just says, I'm going to give you the opportunity to believe in me as I am. You're going to hear me tell you who I am. I'm not going to dilute it so you're comfortable. You're going to have to choose whether or not you believe me. And he's doing that with you. He's doing that with me. So go up into the first couple of verses, 47 through 51. I will. I'm going to pass through some of these quickly, but we see at the very beginning, Jesus identifies himself and he offers himself to the people. He gives, opens up with these two, what I call curious declarations. He says, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. That's a curious thing that was not familiar to them. And the second was, the second curious thing was in verse 48, I am the bread of life. So he is speaking to this large crowd, some of whom are true believers, some are religious leaders trying to catch him in a a trap, others are just kind of casual onlookers. But he says this, he says, if you believe, you'll live forever. You got to remember he's speaking into a highly works-based, at this time, pharisaical Judaism where everything was about keeping not only the the law of Moses, but all of the rabbinic traditions, all of the things that were, the ornaments that were hung on the tree of the law, they ornamented it for centuries, and now it was an unbearable burden that people had to keep. And Jesus, Jesus just comes in, and he doesn't honor the traditions of man. He honors the law of God, but he does not honor the traditions of man. And this is what he says. He says, eternal life comes from believing. By the way, that's still the gospel. It doesn't come from being baptized. It doesn't come from speaking in tongues. It doesn't come from doing kind deeds. It doesn't come from adjoining a church. It doesn't come from not going to R-rated movies, stop cussing, and you don't ever get drunk anymore. It doesn't come from those things. It comes when a broken person acknowledges that he or she is a helpless sinner before a loving and holy God. 
and they recognize that this is the God of truth, and the God of truth says, if you will believe me, I will save you. And in particulars, if you will believe that my son has paid the payment for your sin when he died on the cross, if you will believe that he took the full payment, even under the grave, because the payment for sin is death, and somebody must die for every single one of our sins. Somebody's got to die for your sin. And so the father says, son, go. Son says, I will go. I will die for their sins. No man takes my life from me, but I lay my life down willingly. And so when Jesus was spiked to those timbers and the blood flowed, that was the payment for sin. And now anybody who believes that that payment will atone for their sin, and then when he rose from the grave, that he had life eternal, when you believe in him, you will have eternal life. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken away from that. And then he says, as we'll talk about the rest of the message, he says, it's not only belief that leads to eternal life, but he says, I'm the bread of life. Remember, they were wanting more food. That's why they were there that day. You can read up into the chapter. He had already told them, you're not here because you believe in me. You're here because you're hungry. And he said, I'll feed you. I'm going to feed you with me because that's going to satisfy those deepest hungers in you forever. So go down into verses 49 and 50. Then he gives them, and I believe us also, two steps into elevated understanding. This is when he begins to stretch them. It's subtle and soft at the beginning, but it's undoubtedly there. He says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This, speaking of him himself, this is the bread. I am the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Let me give you these two steps as God is stretching us, and especially in this stretching us in our understanding of him, our understanding of the kingdom, our understanding of how things work in the kingdom. He, he wants us to do two things. First of all, retain the truth that you already know. As long as it's biblical, retain the truth that you already know. You never lose what is true. But you can become enlightened to what more is true. And so when he speaks to them of the manna, he's going back into the Jewish Bible. All of these people would have been familiar with a 40-year wandering in the wilderness, how God supernaturally fed Israel through the manna that came down from heaven. And they would have known that. That's part of their history. It's part of their theology. It's part of their historical walking with the Lord. But Jesus says, yes, they ate that miraculous bread. They ate it for 40 years. They ate it and ate it and ate it. There was never a day where they didn't have it because the Father sent the bread down from heaven to sustain them in the wilderness. But eventually, Jesus says, they died. They died. And so what does he do? Here he stretches them. He says, in in essence, but... If anyone eats this bread, speaking of himself, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's verse 51, these two massive revelations. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, you are presumably today... A Christian, and if you're not yet a Christian, you're probably at least familiar with the concept of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago giving his physical life on a cross, and you likely understand that the reason why he did that was to, as I explained earlier, pay for the sins of the world. They had never heard that. So we're looking back at this, and we're like, yeah, come on, what else, what else? But you need to remember, in that moment, it's brand new revelation. 
Nobody had ever taught this. Nobody had ever preached this. Nobody that, even the prophets, they, they saw fuzzily into the future. They couldn't comprehend that the Messiah would come and die. Everybody thought if Jesus is the Messiah, it's only a matter of time before the miracle-working prophet who heals the sick, opens the eyes of the blind, raises the dead, renounces the dead pharisaical system of Judaism, and, and, and reveals the Father to us. The next thing on the list is he'll topple Rome and Israel will have our glory back again. So they're all looking for that. And Jesus is stretching them, and he's saying, actually, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to give my flesh. That flesh is going to meet every spiritual hunger of anybody that will take and eat. See, we, we, we're at a disadvantage to understand and kind of empathize with them because we get this. We know what he's talking about. But if you're in church that day, he's doing this in the synagogue. He's in the meeting place. And the people are like, What? What is this? Say, Jeff, how do you know that? Well, I'm about to show you right here. Look, let's go down into verses 52 through 59. Here it is. And man, you've got to get this this morning. Jesus purposefully stretches his audience. Some were deeply offended at Jesus. Verse 52. These are the religious leaders. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Okay, Jesus is depositing upon them deep kingdom spiritual truth. He's feeding them some meat, some bread, some meat. He's giving them something of substance. And so the religious leaders, with all the letters behind their names, that have all of the education, all of the clout, all of the position, all of the power, all of the reputation, they're hearing the maverick rabbi from uh, Galilee, and he's speaking these truths, and of course they're afraid of him because the people love him, and they're bewildered by him because he does all of these works, but they hate the fact that he doesn't support their system. And so they're listening to him, and when he talks about giving his flesh to eat, they automatically, the red flag goes up. They think, okay, guys, this is where we're finally going to get him. He's actually teaching a doctrine of cannibalism. We've got this guy. We're going to bring down this crazy rabbi. This is it. He's speaking blasphemy and heresy. Our law says that we cannot ingest anything with blood because it defiles us. We got him. And so they start talking about Jesus. But what's amazing to me, it's in the Greek language. It says they disputed among themselves. Jesus throws this grenade out there, it goes off, and then they're arguing with each other about what to do. That's one of the downfalls of buying into a religious system. There's, there's, no, there's no constant standard. And so everybody's opinion, they think it counts. And it usually ends up being, who, who can bully it the best? They have the final word. But Jesus, notice this, he's not trying to quiet them down. Oh, guys, sorry, I think, did I offend you? Oh, wait, let me walk that back. He's not a diplomat. He, he, he's not a, politi a politically correct. He's not religiously correct. He, he's not concerned at the level of their discomfort. Remember, he knows, it already says in here, he knows who would believe in him and who wouldn't. And these people that are now arguing over what he said are in the crowd of folks that weren't going to believe in him, so he just let them duke it out with each other. But look, down into verse number 53, we see that Jesus didn't lighten their loads. Just let these verses speak. Let's feel the weight of them. So Jesus said to them, as they're fighting over how he can give us his flesh to eat, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood 
I feel it's not like a Vincent Price kind of thing. It's like, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father, living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Get out, my goodness. Do you see what he did there? The people are struggling over the teaching, and Jesus actually goes to the very thing they're struggling over and presses it harder. He actually, it's like they were bruised there for a minute, and instead of, you know, forgive me, I'm just going to be a little critiquing on what I've seen in the last X amount of years in Christendom. Instead of running to them, oh, have you been offended? Did the preacher hurt your feelings? Did he say something? Because we can, we can retract that statement. Please don't leave. Please. And the Lord just takes it up, man. He just puts exponential emphasis on it. It's almost like he intentionally just repeats, my flesh, my blood, my flesh, my blood, my flesh. Drink it, eat it, my blood, my flesh. Drink it, eat it. Now listen, I'm, I'm really not trying to be funny here. This is the words of the Son of God. But, but, but what we've got to do is say, why is he doing that? He's taking them to the extreme. He's taking them so far out of their comfort zone. Not so he could find out where they stood with him, so they could find out. You see, when Jesus, when God the Father, when Holy Spirit want us to really get real about where our trust factor is with him. He just takes us out of our comfort zone where we've got nothing to lean on. We don't have anything to lean on. Where's my theological comfort zone? Where's everything I used to know about God? I don't understand any of this stuff. And so ultimately, these people are being stretched in this area. Do you trust what you believe about him or do you trust him? There's a difference. My friend, listen to me. I'm a theological guy. I, 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 I um, founded a ministry called Transforming Truth because I saw all the silliness that was going on in pulpits. I'm like, man, we just need to stick to the Word of God. So I'm a theological guy. But this is what I've recognized. And, and especially when I was in deep with a highly theological kind of camp and train of thought, it was like, I've met people that worship theology. At, they will worship theology at the expense of worshiping God. And when their theology gets tweaked, I believe the Greek word is they freak out. Because, listen, theology is essential. Good biblical theology is essential. Theology is simply what is the biblical definition of God as he reveals himself in the word of God. And so theology is important. But I also want you to know there's a lot of uh, flawed theology out there. And sometimes the Lord doesn't want us to even exist another month or a year in this world where we've constructed this this, uh, hammock, cozy, comfortable hammock of theology that just wraps us up and we can swing and the wind blows and everything feels great because I understand everything about God and I know God and he knows me. And, and, and literally, you think you've got God wrapped up in the hammock with you. He does not fit in a hammock. I learned the hard way. 
So Jesus, friends, he doesn't lighten your load. Some of you are in a season right now where he's just stretching you and stretching you and stretching you and stretching you. And you're getting to the point where you're like, reverently, Lord, knock it off. This hurts. This is hard. I, I don't know what's real. I don't know what's wa- not real. I, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what not to believe. I, I experience the high of heights and the low of lows. Just who are you? And that's what he's trying to answer. That's what he's trying to answer. So let's go a little bit further. Jesus offers to take them deeper. He's speaking of himself, and he says in verse number 58, This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Um, The Bible adds the footnote that he said these things in the synagogue as he taught. Let me just slow down for a minute here. Jesus is not a doctrine to be amened. He's a bread to eat. He's not a good idea for us to say, I'm in that camp. I agree with what they said. And that becomes the sum total of our journey with Jesus. It's defined by you know, a, a theological box where you've got a certain amount of words in a certain order that reveal certain true aspects about God, but, but anything outside of that box, you just, uh, the default is that can't be the Lord. And by the way, if, if, if I sound like I'm being presumptuous, this is just based on my own experience, and it's based on 20 plus years of local church work as a reformer. From the day I became a pastor, I started reforming the church I was pastoring at that time, and I just thought everybody would love the idea of just being thoroughly biblical. But you've heard about cow tipping in the South, right? Yeah. I, I went sacred cow tipping. I was knocking over sacred cows all over the place. And I, I realized, oh, not everybody's excited about this. And then when, when uh, Meadow and Cornerstone merged prior to that, when I had to ratify biblically that the, the, you, you can be a cessationist if you want to, but you can't do it based solely on the Scriptures because the Scriptures in and of themselves nowhere teach that the gifts have come to an end. Now, that doesn't go over well in a denominational church where it is in the bylaws that we don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And so, listen, I, I, the, the thing for me was like, well, can, can we just believe our Bible even if the bylaws don't support it? And I had some men that I love look me in the eye and say, no. And they chose the bylaws. So I understand this stuff, and I know what it means to be stretched, but here's the thing that I don't want to see ever again. I don't want to see people whom God in love and mercy and grace seeking to impart the spirit of wisdom and revelation to them that they might grow in their understanding and therefore their relationship with God. I don't want to see them pull back on the stretching and walk away like these people are about to do. See, this is, this is the gist of it. There's, there's actually a, a high price when we say no to the stretching. So Jesus, go down into verses 60 and 66 with me. Jesus' own followers, it's not just the religious bigwigs, they stumble over what he shares. Not necessarily the 12, but there was a much larger crowd. And here's why they struggled and they stumbled. Because they processed spiritual truth with natural reasoning. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, 
this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? That's the gist. It's like, we don't like this. We like the fish and chips, signs and wonders, magical mystery tour. Do some of that, Lord. This flesh and blood eating and drinking, I don't like that. So that's a hard saying. We don't want to hear this anymore. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, this is pretty intense. This is really what I want, I want us to get. I, I just have this vision of, of a congregation named New Bridge, a family being, being stretched. And we are. We're all being stretched in different ways. I'm not the stretcher, by the way. I'm the messenger. But I'm being stretched, too. I'm stretched constantly. If I'm going to get stretched, y'all going to get stretched. Amen? Amen. And so he's stretching us. Why? Because where we've been was yesterday. How many of you know God isn't doing anything yesterday? You you think about that for a minute. It'll get you. He's not doing anything yesterday. Today and tomorrow and whatever may come after. And so to get us there, he can't leave us here. And so he's, he's stretching us. And I just see us moving together. And as we just trust him. As we deal with the discomfort, as we leave the questions lingering, because if if you're still in that place, like many of these disciples are going to prove to be there, there are people around Christendom, maybe even born-again people, that when he begins to stretch, they say, I'm not going another step until I understand what you're doing. I've got some questions. I need to know where, when, how, and if you don't mind, why. Now, we never phrase it like that. We don't, man. We are way too religious. We know we can't get away with that. But that's how he reads our heart when we say, mm-mm, I'm not going to do that. And so what happens? Our lordship is governed not by the Lord, but by our control and understanding of what's happening. That's what happens. If we can't give ourselves to it until we fully understand it, that's a spirit of fear or a spirit of rebellion. It can't be anything else. And so what does the Lord do? He doesn't make it easy. He looks at us and he says, Oh, have I offended you? Have I, have I said something you don't grasp? Does that offend you that you're not in control? You're not in charge? Can I unpack it? And I don't want to put words in his mouth, but this is how I've heard it in my life. Jeff, does, does it offend you that I'm not asking for your advice? Jeff, are you upset? Are you, are, are you kind of pouty because I've not asked permission? Jeff, is it really unreasonable that I, God Almighty, infinite, immeasurable, holy beyond conception, would do something that your little pea brain can't understand? I don't know how he talks to you, but I promise you, that's how he talks to me sometimes. He's never mean, but... I don't, I don't respond to subtlety. I just don't. He, he throws good relational bricks at me, hits me in the forehead all the time, because that's what I respond to. Listen, he reserves the right to lead you in ways and to places where he's not explaining to you anything ahead of time. You know why he does that? Because the just are supposed to live by... Say it again. The justified live by 
Full-blown syllabuses, explanations, guarantees, contracts? No. If our faith is in our understanding, then we have made a God out of our intellect. And post-enlightenment Christianity has a, a pretty long rap sheet for doing that. We want to understand everything because we can control what we understand. And if we can't control it, there's something within our flesh, which I'm going to come to in a minute, that says, don't give yourself to something you can't control. My son and my daughter and I were watching a, it's a great theologically enriching show called Looney Tunes. <laughs> and it's actually the new ones, not the ones we grew up on watching, those in my generation, but the new ones. And Daffy Duck is like an uber idiot in these things. And he's always popping off with these nuggets of Daffy Duck wisdom that are absolutely just tomfoolery. Daffy Duck said this, and this is Landon's favorite quote, uh, never give yourself to anything unless you have a hundred percent guarantee of success. And so we laugh at that at my house, but listen, I just want to tell you, I think that doctrine's gotten in the church. And so what are we doing? Well, we're building monuments to what we can do. We're building you know, monuments to what we can understand. We're building monuments to ourselves. Oh, we give God the lip service. Oh, God did it. God did it. And sometimes I hear from heaven, no, I didn't. Y'all did that. Thanks for crediting me with it, but I didn't do that. Y'all did that. And see, when God does something, uh, nobody wonders. When, when God does it, you don't have to go up to somebody and say, did you know that was God? Because when God does something, my friend, he puts his fingerprint on it, and it's big enough for everybody to see. And if we're ever going to see that, we're going to be stretched. How was it going to happen for these guys and these ladies? Well, they needed full surrender in order to continue. Jesus says in verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. And listen, it's a great opportunity for you to believe the Son of God. The flesh is no help at all. I want you to say that with me three times. The flesh is no help at all. The flesh is no help at all. The flesh is no help at all. Even the good parts of our flesh, our minds, our understanding, our intellect, our education, He's not talking about immoral parts of the flesh. He's talking about the human component cannot work its way perfectly through spiritual kingdom realities. He says if you're relying on the flesh, you will never be stretched into the thing that God wants you to be. He says it's the spirit that gives life. Jesus had told Nicodemus earlier in this same gospel, he says, the one who is born of the spirit is like the wind. He says, you don't know where he's coming. You don't know where he came from. You don't know where he's going. That's what Jesus said. And so what does that mean? He said, at the very least, what we need to understand about the person who's living in the Spirit is they're not always predictable. It's not always reasonable. It's not always understandable. It can't always be specified and articulated by the intellect through the human vocabulary. That there are things and times and seasons and experiences and callings that, that just completely go contrary to the intellect. And yet we are trying to turn them over like some kingdom Rubik's Cube that we're trying to solve so we can then give ourselves to it. And years go by and you're twisting and twisting and turning and turning that little Rubik's Cube of your life and you still haven't gotten all the sides to match and God is trying to stretch you and you're saying, okay, but let me figure it all out ahead of time. And, and, and friends, that's not faith. 
Listen, I'm not trying to be hard, but I am sensing the heart of God on this thing. And I'm recognizing what we're going to do here in a few minutes. We are, we are saying yes to a stretching that is unprecedented in this region, maybe anywhere. That a prayer movement and a local church would intertwine themselves in a marriage of kingdom ministry and say to a region that it's not either or. And from that place of incubation and intercession and prayer and worship, there will come forth something that the heart of God knows perfectly, but we don't understand it all yet. And it's a stretch. It's only the Holy Spirit that's going to put life on that thing. My flesh can't help me. My flesh can't figure it all out. My flesh can't anticipate. I want this guaranteed. I want this guaranteed. I want this guaranteed. I want this prevented. I want this. God just says, Jeff, put away your quill. Put away your parchment. I'm not going to write down anything from you. Look me in the heart, my son, and just know how much I love you. And whereby you have already attained, maintain the same rule, as Paul said. In other words, as you have gotten this far, keep going. Keep going. Verse number 65 and 66 are scary, and I'm not going to spend much time there. Um, Their kingdom journey came to an end. Don't miss that. Jesus gives a highly theological statement that I don't have time to deal with today. I've dealt with it in the past, but he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Just very quickly, there were a lot of people in there that were part of the church, so to speak, part of the crowd, and um, they were not born again. They were not saved. They were doing it all in their flesh. They approached Jesus in the flesh. They received Jesus according to fleshly wisdom, and then... um, as he's stretching them, they checked in with their flesh, and their flesh said, don't do this. And look at what the rest of it says. It says, um, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Just read that. These are people who had gone this far. They had seen him work the miraculous. They had heard his preaching. They had seen people get born again, people get raised from the dead, people get healed. They, they had heard sermons from God himself. They had done all of this. But when Jesus started stretching them to a place that they couldn't intellectually go in their flesh, the Bible says that they walked away from him and never came back. They only had faith in Jesus to the extent that he would leave them where they were in control. And when he removed that control by confronting them with something they could not understand, they said, yeah, we got to go. And they did. They walked away. Listen, I'm going to tell you, that's easier to do than you think. It happens all the time. There's a Greek word for it, scandalizo. It just, we get our word scandalized from it. And the New Testament usually translates it as stumbling or stumbling block. It means you hit something in your walk with Jesus and you trip over it and you say, that's it, I'm done, I'm out of here. And for these guys, it was the stretching of their faith. And they could not go to a place where they couldn't grasp what all he was saying and doing. I've got to wrap up because of time, but let me just get down to the 12. Peter to the rescue. 
You know, Peter gets a lot of bad press because he made some serious fumbles himself, but I like him right here. This is some good Peter moments right here. Jesus provides for confession and commitment. He gives an intentional challenge to the twelve. Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? See, these were, the, these were the associate pastors. Jesus is the shepherd. These are the associate shepherds. The numbers are swelling. Judas has got the money bag. He's real happy as a treasurer because the offerings are going up. The people are grooving. They're coming in droves. And Jesus pulls out the eat my flesh, drink my blood message, and the crowd thins out. And then he looks at his associate pastors and he says, y'all going to go too? I think he asked a lot of that. We see people stumbling. We see people falling. We see people that are on fire one day and in the gutter the next day. We see leaders that foul up. We see people that we love and everybody else thinks they're the titan Christian, the dynamo, but we see them behind the scenes and we see their flaws and we wonder, man, what's real, what's not real? And, and Jesus kind of can get us sequestered as people walk away from from the bride of Christ and from Christ himself. They walk away, and Jesus says, I know you see what they're doing, but what about you? What are you going to do? And it's in the context of him stretching everybody's faith. The disciples didn't know what he was talking about either. The disciples did not have a commentary on John 6. They had no clue what Jesus was talking about. And so Jesus goes to them, and everybody's getting stretched, and he looks at these that were close to him, and he's saying to them, "Uh, are you going to walk away also? And here comes Peter. And and look at what the stretching did to Peter. It's amazing. Same stretching, totally different response. Some walked away. Peter, Peter got his confidence strengthened. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, emphatic, you have the words of eternal life. <laughs> Man, that's what I just love about continuing with Jesus. I don't, there's a lot of times I don't have a clue what he's doing. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. You know, I, look, I, I bow at the same cross you bow. I've got the same Holy Spirit that you've got. I've got the same Bible you've got. And, and ministry doesn't do anything to sanctify a person. I can tell you that. Matter of fact, it probably just reveals our need for sanctification. But you get to a place where you're like, Lord, I don't understand any of this. Pain, loss, heartbreak, disaster, abandonment, betrayal, frustration, slander, malice, grief, all of the bad stuff. And you get to a place where you're like, I don't like any of this. But I don't want to go anywhere else because he's right here in the midst of it with me. He's right here in the midst of it. You see, the one thing, one one glorious thing about being stretched is if you're being stretched, that means you're close to him because he's got to be right there with you getting his hand on you. And and so you don't run away. Peter's like, who are we going to go to? You've spoken life into us. You rescued us. You called us. You transform us. You're the one that we're watching. You're the one that we're following. You're the one that we left everything for. We've been walking with you. Lord, to whom else shall we go? An understanding of the process. Teaching moment here and I'm done. Peter goes on to say, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have believed. That's position. We have come to know. 
That's process. Friends, you've believed on Jesus. And unfortunately, there's a large chunk of Bible Belt Christianity that makes that the whole of the gospel. Believe on Jesus, you'll go to heaven when you die. Okay, I believe on him. Great, you're going to heaven when you die, now go live your life. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel at all. The gospel is that Jesus is your life. He is your life. And listen, your position is rooted the moment you trust in Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, and, and the rest of it is process. He's not done teaching you. It didn't stop when you got converted. It started when you got converted. And so he's just saying, hey, I saved you. I actually pulled you up out of the grave. Don't stand by the graveside. Come walk with me. It's the process. And so you're not at the beginning anymore, but you're not at the end yet. And so humility says this, there's a whole lot more I need to learn. Somebody might ask, how much more? I mean, I went to VBS nine years in a row. I got my Sunday school pens. I went through a 12-week discipleship course. How much more could there be? Listen, there is as much to learn about God to the same measure that God is. As big as he is, that's the big, that's the amount of volume that we get to learn in process with him. So I'm going to do this. I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not giving a formal invitation. In a minute, our, our, our ministry team is going to come up after we, uh, we take care of the vote today. Lord, bring, bring a sense of faith and sobriety on the room. Holy Spirit, please do that. Holy Spirit, I pray for a sense of I pray for the will and the hearts of your children to release themselves to you afresh. Lord Jesus, forgive us for making demands on you. Forgive us for wanting so much information ahead of time that we actually don't need faith. Don't give us that when we ask for it. Keep stretching us, Lord. Keep stretching us. Stretch this assembly. Stretch this family. When you put us together with IHOP, Lord, stretch us all. We want to be Jesus-shaped. I pray, Lord, for those that have been mastered by their intellects alone. Let them not lose their intelligence, but, Lord, be enthroned higher than their intellect. Make that switch, Jesus. Give them permission to walk in things that they can't explain or understand. Take away the accuser's voice that tells them that it's not real if they can't explain it. And Lord, I pray for a baptism of faith right now in this room. Lord, I pray for a unanimous yes to this vote. That it might be a signal in our community that we trust you with what you're doing in these two communities. What you've been doing, what you are doing, and what you will do. So Lord, I pray that we do not enter into fear, but we boldly make strides of faith this morning saying yes to what you've spoken to the leaders of these assemblies we want to say yes back to you in jesus name and the church said amen, amen.